octalkradio.net. Welcome, everybody, to Talent Talk Radio Show. Brought to you by People G2, a company founded in 2001, but dedicated to helping clients with their people related decisions. And with our host, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Uh, again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are really talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense. The word talent has those two different meanings in the business world. And this show really looks to explore them. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and all types of different... uh, very important business people. When I'm out in the networking events, industry conferences, CEO roundtables, I always have the privilege of meeting such inspiring leaders. And I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guests today, Bruce Lewalt and Brad Cook, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in today live. But don't forget, you can submit your questions to my guests via Twitter. Just tweet those questions to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can listen to the show via podcast on iTunes. I think there's also a podcast interface um, on your Android. Uh, you can look it up through Podbean. And you can subscribe to have those weekly shows sent to you. So if it's not convenient to always tune in at 1 o'clock every Tuesday, you can listen to the car to past uh, episodes and shows at whenever it's convenient for you. So if you're listening in on a podcast today, thank you. With that being said, let's get the show started. My guests uh, again today are Bruce Lewalt, uh, the CEO of BrainX, and Brad Cook, Global Vice President of Talent Acquisition for in- Informatica. I'll be talking to Brad in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be with you today. So, you know, Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself and really your passion for helping people become more successful learners. Well, you know, go ahead. It started when I was um, really uh, in college and studied learning theory for the very first time. I was an economics major and... um, I thought that's what I was going to spend my life doing. I studied computer science, had a minor in that, and all of a sudden took this strange psychology class that talked about learning theory. And it really changed my life and set me on a professional passion of helping people reach their full learning potential, which really almost no one does. So um, I study learning theory and neuroscience and then apply that uh, to both corporate training solutions and also to education training solutions, most of which are delivered online. Sure. And, and before maybe we talk about your company specifically, BrainX, maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know, the kinds of things that ba- parents and business people, um, you know, what they need to really understand about the current state of education and, and corporate training. Sure. Well, you know, everybody hears all these terrible things about education and training, and, and unfortunately, most of them are true, but they never really get at the root causes of the problem. Um, l- let me give you an example. The Shanghai School District had far, far worse problems many years ago than L.A. Unified. I mean, it was just horrendous. Yet today, they're the number one rated school district in the world. And so how did they do it? Are their students genetically superior? Of course not. Are the parents uh, such that they care more about their children's education? Again, not. Um, Maybe the teachers are better qualified, and that's definitely not true. Teachers in California get far more great training. So what made the difference, and, and how much did it cost? And it turns out that the district made a simple decision. And that is that they would follow the research, all of which was done in the U.S., by the way, or most of it anyway, that showed if you focused on a deep and durable approach to education instead of the mile-wide, shallow approach that is used in many schools in the United States, you get far, far better results. So so that's what they did. They just focused on deep and durable uh, training, which 
now corporations are starting to do as well, and the results are, are pretty stunning. So now that we have kind of an understanding of your passion for learning, maybe you can kind of explain a little bit about what Brainex does and uh, you know how you're really turning what you just talked out, talked about into reality for for companies looking to train their people in a much better way. For both, you know, companies and for schools, uh, there are a few simple things, and that is to focus on teaching things that you're going to teach to the point where it really sticks or don't teach it at all. So what they did in Shanghai and what corporations are doing is they eliminated, first of all, multiple choice tests, because multiple choice tests just focus on uh, shallow learning. I was with a high school student the other day who said, I'm an A student, and I asked her, well, gosh, you must study a lot. And she says, oh, no. I'm just really good at guessing on multiple choice questions. Um, and the same thing with the corporate training where they, uh, senior managers are always pushing trainers to get training done quickly. And so people get it done quickly and then that's followed by rapid forgetting. In fact, uh, there was just a major research study done last year that looked at the billions of dollars that corporations spend on training. And what they found is that only 10% of that dollar figure produced deep and durable changes in behavior. In other words, 90%, if you're a corporate a CEO or has anything to do with training, what the research shows is 90% of what you're spending is wasted because it doesn't produce durable changes in behavior. So, so you mentioned the term deep and durable here. Maybe you can kind of go a little deeper with us and talk about how your software really addresses that challenge. Sure. And uh, the key is is that every person is different. And so instead of the one-size-fits-all course followed by a quick multiple-choice test and then they're done and they forget it all, what our software does is simply figures out how each person learns, uh, what they already know about the topic, and then teaches them in an effective way. That's the easy part. The more difficult part is figuring out how much reinforcement you need over different days, because really the most important thing for the listeners to understand about learning, the type of learning that really changes behavior, is that it simply doesn't happen instantaneously. It takes time to develop in the brain. Sleep is important to that. And so, and then constant practice and reinforcement. Um, let me give you an idea, an example for those people in your audience that train salespeople. And I won't even use sales. I'll use um, uh, a football quarterback or in football season. So imagine a football quarterback that's in the middle of a game and uh, the play is to the tight end and the tight end's completely covered, just like a glove. How much time does that quarterback have to figure out what to do next? And of course, the answer is just a fraction of a second. But the real secret sauce is to think about what happens in the brain. And that is, first he has to remember and call up facts, rules of the game. And then he has to have situational awareness about who's where, where he can throw the ball, who's the best person to throw to. And then not where that person is, but where they're going to be. And then he uses a skill to actually throw to that point. Well, that's called rapid adaptive reasoning ability. And it doesn't happen overnight. No one would ever think of training a quarterback in a two-day seminar and then sending them into an NFL game. It takes practice, sleep, practice, sleep, and that develops that rapid adaptive reasoning ability. Now imagine your, your sales team. You have your star salesperson in a room with a critical client, and that client asks an off-the-wall question that's really serious to them. And maybe it's an objection. How much time does your salesperson have to figure out what to say next? And they need that same situational analysis. They need to be able to call up something they learned about the customer so they can provide a targeted benefit statement, probably in the answer. And they need to use verbal skills to deliver it with empathy and in an effective way, all in a fraction of a second. So developing that rapid adaptive reasoning ability takes time and it takes personalized practice, which is what the system does, and personalized reinforcement. And sometimes you need to get a manager involved, which the system also coordinates. So right now, you know, companies are looking at, you said, sales trainings and uh, even maybe mentoring or having some sort of uh, information being presented to people. But I think we know you, may, you might be lucky if they get 10 to 15 percent, they actually retain that much of that information. And the problem is which 10 to 15 percent are they actually retaining? Is it the ones, that, the stuff that you wanted them to know? Or is it the stuff that they just found interesting? And so you have you can have a, certainly a big gap between what, the company wants that group of people to know and what they actually do know. 
So wh- wh- what is it? What does it look like when they kind of go through, you know, the, the brain next process? You know, wh- well, actually, let me go back to something you just said, because it's really scary. And that is what the research shows is that when they only remember a certain portion of what you taught and they're in the middle of a, a presentation, that little bit that they didn't learn well actually interrupts their thinking for the parts that they do already know. And actually, performance can actually decrease over time. But let me get your question and tell you um, how this works. And, and probably uh, let me give an example here of a large sales organization. We went into the sales organization. They'd been doing training, and they had a typical bell curve. They had salespeople that were really low performers. In fact, one lady that they were going to fire when we walked in because she, they tried everything and she just was, couldn't, in their mind, couldn't sell. They believed she was just naturally bad at it. Um, by the way, there's no gene for selling. Nobody's naturally bad at it. Um, and then they had some really top performers and some people in the middle. Well, we work with them over time in the system where they learned something, they got enough reinforcement on it until they mastered it and then they moved on. And about eight months later, I heard back from the manager. And what he said is that now 92% of his sales team is outselling what the former top performers used to sell. And that lady that they were going to fire in June of this year, she was the top performing salesperson in the company, and they were going to move her into management. So here was the key. We went back and looked at the data. And what it turned out, is she needed almost twice as many times for reinforcement as the other people. But when they gave them that extra reinforcement in the system, she mastered it just as well and, in fact, better than many of the other people, such that this person that they're going to have to fire, they're going to have to do a recruiting job on to find a replacement, they're going to have to retrain a replacement, was saved and turned into a top performer simply by providing more reinforcement in the system. Well, and it's not a customized approach to learning as well. Right. Exactly right. Exactly. So it's customized to delivering the instruction, then a customized approach to reinforcement, which includes, by the way, verbal trainings. Salespeople just need to practice their verbal presentations in the system. And then they got the managers involved to coach rather than manage based on outcomes. Yeah, and you bring up a good point about the verbal practice. I mean, it almost seems old school or cliche, but, you know, actually practicing what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, recording yourself doing it, uh, saying it in front of the mirror. I mean, these are actual real-life skills that you can really develop and and hear yourself, hear where you're having a problem, where you don't sound confident, where you're stuttering. And I, it's amazing how many times I ask people who are struggling with this, do they take that kind of practice? Do they do the, that most basic thing that I think people have been doing for a long time, long before a lot of these other books and suggestions and trainings? And usually the answer is no, they're not doing it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it comes from this mythology that somebody's either naturally a good salesperson or naturally a bad. And because sales managers push that mythology, salespeople think, gosh, if I have to work hard, if I have to practice hard, then it must mean that I'm not naturally gifted. Now, what we know is that salespeople in particular, when it comes to training, you should think of them not so much like employees of your company who have the job of selling, but really like competitive athletes who compete for a living and and their sport is selling and they play for your team because selling is a competitive sport. So imagine what you just said. Well, I don't know if I should train. I don't know if I should practice verbally. Imagine back to my football analogy, a quarterback says, oh, you know, I'm probably good enough. I really don't need to practice this week. I don't need to train for the game. It would be ludicrous. And yet we don't provide that level of constant training and reinforcement to our sales team. And we suffer financially for it because what the research shows, and this is really significant to anybody that's a CEO or sales manager, the research is crystal clear. And here is the research. Your expectations for what your salespeople can sell are far, far too low. And that, that those low expectations actually have an effect on their performance because you reinforce what you think they can do and they, they, they do it. So it's uh, very significant. Well, that's a great piece of advice that, you know, having higher expectations for your salespeople can maybe have a big impact uh, on their performance and, and how you're interacting with them. Uh, do you have any other advice that you might give uh, sales managers or people that, you know, are are really dealing with a sales team? Yeah, uh, and especially for the managers, 
because this was tough. You know, I, I went into computer sales after college, um, and I really liked it, but I had one of these managers that used uh, kind of the old-school pressure tactics. So, you know, his favorite words were hero to zero. You'd make a big sale one day, you'd come in the next day, and he said, okay, now you guys back to zero, man. You're starting over. Everything was kind of a negative orientation. And and then all the time it was how many calls did you make, how are you doing on quota, um, how are you doing on salesperson of the month, all outcome-based coaching. Well, what the research shows, and there's really clear, it's mostly comes out of sports psychology, is that if managers will stop focusing on outcomes and start focusing on skills and process development, performance will soar. So instead of that meeting where you talk about, you know, how are you doing on quota, what you'd identify for each person is what actual skill are they learning in the system and then reinforcing that skill. So uh, we know that, uh, for example, that um, just the, the uh, using benefit statements on their own is not really as effective as people once thought they were. You know, it was always talk about don't do features, talk about benefits. Well, that's okay, but it doesn't go far enough. What's really, really significant is not a benefit statement, but a targeted benefit statement. A targeted benefit statement based on something you learned in discovery. And now you can use that. Well, that's difficult to do on the fly. And training people in that skill is, is, takes work and takes time. So, it is far better for a management, a manager and their time with a person to say, this is a skill we're working on. While I'm listening in on your calls today or while we go on this call, the only thing I'm going to focus on is just listening for how you remember what you learned and use that to create targeted benefit statements. And then we'll talk about that afterwards and I'll give you coaching on that. That approach to coaching on specific skills that are tied in with what somebody's learning in training make performance soar. And uh, so that's just, just one of the things that managers can change, uh, and that is that change, focus on process, tra- or skills uh, and uh, process and not outcomes. Well, all this on how we learn and how we interact is, is certainly fascinating. Uh, I do want to take a kind of switch gears a little bit here and make sure we talk about you a little bit. Uh, and I was curious, you know, maybe who or what has had the greatest impact on your own leadership development? Oh, you know, that's interesting because um, there have been uh, old guys, you know, Drucker and, and other things that have that have had uh, impacts uh, along the way. Um, certainly uh, recently, some of the great work uh, that's done just on process, you know, the book, the book Execution and the Toyota Way have been really helpful. But I think... In the last maybe two years, it hasn't come from business books. And it's come more from the study of sports psychology because those people have made a total science out of how to get the best performance out of each individual. And um, so that, that's, that's been fascinating. And, you know, quite frankly, difficult for me uh, because I'm the first kind of guy to jump in and just help somebody do it rather than helping really develop their skill set uh, and think about the, the future. So it's, uh, it's, I've really had to learn to hold myself back. And you mentioned some really impactful books. Uh, and so we'd love to ask this question on the show. You know, what, what books are you reading right now? <laughs> well, right now, I don't know. That, that I think uh, I would put everybody to sleep with what I'm reading. I read a lot of research journal articles on I'm now reading a book called Behavior Analysis and Training, which sounds really exciting, I'm sure. And then... An, um, an instant uh, put you to sleep kind of book? Yeah, yeah. And, and the other one by uh, Winfred Arthur and, and Eric Day is uh, Individual and Team Skilled Decay, uh, The Science and Implications of Practice, you know, so uh, another sleeper. But it turns out to be fascinating to a guy like me that likes to read that research and then turn it into algorithms uh, that automate automate expert learning for uh, the people that take courses. They, so they don't have to learn it. They just go in and their own digital tutor in the system just automates it for them. Well, we've talked about how we can make salespeople or you can take it out of sales, anyone within a company, learn better, uh, develop skills, and, and become very proficient at their jobs or even a star. So was there a specific skill or technique that you had to work on that you really you know feel contributes to your role now? That you know maybe it wasn't natural for you to begin with, but you had to work on it. Yeah, so um, 
time management and organization is it was just critical for me because it's so easy for me to get wrapped up in things that are really exciting but not the absolute best use of time and i find with my salespeople, you know me having to learn it helped me be more empathetic to them in fact we did a study with ours and, and uh team and found it was shocking how much t- little time people actually spent um focusing on the things that are the highest use of their time um we did we actually formalized that study with a large organization back east that had a real big sales team and we identified what are the highest um uses of their time throughout the day and then we track how much time they actually spent on that and there I'll let everybody take a guess here and uh, see how close they get but it was less than 2 hours out of an 8 hour day did they spend on the things that actually were the highest and best use of their time hmm. yeah, that's amazing you wonder what 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 they were doing otherwise but i guess well, it's so easy to get distracted you know yeah. to think oh this is cool i got this email this blog thing that was great um and well, and if you uh, haven't identified what's important then you can maybe think that some of the things you're doing are, are effective, or maybe they're not, right? I mean, they, they need to be trained, and they have to understand what's effective as well. Yeah, and they simply just have to put procedures in place. The organization, because it's legitimate to spend some time of the day doing those things. It's just if you put real strict time management uh, strategies in place for the team so we help one another, um, then it really works. And then the other thing uh, that turns out to be, uh, have a crossover effect is really getting people in touch with what internally drives them. Because when they want to get distracted, if they can recall why they're doing this, what's really internally driving them, uh, that's more exciting to them than this distraction. So, you know, I'd like to ask you about your creative process. It sounds like you have a lot of different things that you've worked on or that you get influenced by, whether it's a you know, that sports uh, science that you, you mentioned or some of the other books with, with different research. So how do you brainstorm effectively with your team to really come up with the creative solutions that you've put in place? Yeah, well, it used to be all over the place. You know, we'd have these great meetings and uh, come up with all this stuff. And, of course, uh, when you don't have a disciplined process, what happens is the person with the strongest personality and the biggest voice tends to dominate. So what we found is we had to put in place some kind of structure. And there's there's a lot of structures that work. Uh, you know, like the one of those six thinking hats is a great way to do that. Uh, but putting a structure in place and ensuring that those people that are uh, more introverts in style come uh, out. And because oftentimes they have the best ideas and oftentimes are the most creative. Um, it was really important. And, and we found, I mean, maybe people can do this without a structure, but we found that having some type of structure to that, of those creativity sessions uh, were important. Um, and then after that, of course, and maybe we can talk about this for a second or two, is what you do with that information. So that was really And, and maybe you can kind of give us some, a little more clarity on what does that structure look like? And then, of course, you know, how do you put that in, implement that after the fact? Yeah, and... That implementation is really focusing on change management, making sure everybody uh, knows what they need to do, and you have cross-responsibility. So um, I know what uh, or my people know what I expect of them, but I also make sure that I ask the question of what is it that you expect of me and have them tell me so that I'm not under some illusion they're expecting something and, and I, I um don't know. Uh, some of the best work, the book I, I rely on for this is um, uh, Focusing Change to Win. Uh, that's Nick Anderson's book. So, um, And that's got really the latest research on change management. And, and that it talks about this, um, how to take that creative process or any process that you want to implement and really make sure everybody's on the same page and, and what that does uh, when you pull that all through. So you have this unique resource that maybe most companies don't. You could certainly have your people in a different type of training or scenarios all the time, but there also is that human element we've, we've mentioned already today. So how do you encourage people uh, to really develop themselves and to be the best they can be with, within their work? Yeah, first I have them really sit down, and, and actually their digital tutor in the system takes them through a process to really think through what drives them internally. 
what is it that, why do you come to work? Salespeople come to work and it's rarely the cash itself. For some of them it is, just keeping count, the cash is a big thing. It's generally what they can buy for their family with that cash um, or other things that are really, really important. So I try to get people to really understand that and then tell me so I understand what drives them. Because a one-size-fits-all approach to motivation and inspiration uh, always fails, as does, by the way, too much external or extrinsic motivation. Because we know from the research that too much you know, rewards and too much extrinsic motivation actually destroys that person's internal motivation and drive to do things. So do you think that really uh, focusing on people who love what they do or have a passion for what they do is a real intricate component to the success and, and of course, the success within your own programs as well? Yeah, it is. Uh, But, you know, people are often in jobs where they can't switch, where they don't really like the job um, that much. And so we really teach people how to figure out some parts of it that they do love. And here's something that's almost always true. And that is if they fall in love with being better and better at what they do, increasing their competence, it doesn't matter how much they don't like the industry or the job they're in. They really uh, get this sense of internal pride at becoming more and more competent until the day they really can change and do something different. Well, Bruce, uh, if you could let us know, how can people reach out and, and get a hold of you and talk uh, if they want to you know, learn more about you and your company, would they, they would love to know. Sure. The best way to reach out to me is just to go to brainx.com. So it's literally like your brain with an X at the end, B-R-A-I-N-X.com. There's a contact form there. And if you literally just say, ask Bruce Lee Walt to contact me, I'll do it. I'll get back to anybody. If you have issues uh, that you're thinking about struggling with with your company's performance, uh, sales team's performance, or even uh, more, you want more information on how to prove the help improve the performance of your school district, um, I'd love to help with any of that. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It's a pleasure having you, and I certainly hope you'll you'll come back at some point. We want to learn more about what you're doing, and I hope you enjoyed uh, being on the show today. Thanks, Chris. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Up next, Brad Cook will be on the show after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And now let's get back to more Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2, a company founded in 2001 to help clients with their people-related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. So let's restart the show with Chris Dyer and his next guest. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the show tab and clicking on, of course, Talent Talk. In the short time we've been on the air, we've amassed a huge following of podcast listeners, and we really appreciate you. My next guest is Brad Cook. 
Don't forget to tweet your questions to them live right now by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. Without further ado, Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Doing wonderful. Tell us about yourself and your company, Informatica. So uh, I've been in this, this game for, I think, since 05. My, my background is more sales and global operations. Um, so bringing a little bit of a different perspective to the, the world of talent acquisition. Um, Informatica is a 3,200-person company. Uh, we're in the software industry. We focus on data integration. We're, we're in 27 countries around the world, so we have a very diverse um, diverse workforce and uh, in one of the uh, one of the, the fastest growing software industries uh, on, on the planet today. So, you know, as a global vice president of talent acquisition, I would assume that you're kind of put at the center of that talent acquisition decision-making process. So, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges you face in finding the top talent for your company? Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting question. If, if I look at Informatica, that we, we have two challenges. Um, number one, we are in an area where there is massive undershortage of the talent that we need. Uh, the big data space uh, as an industry is, is growing, and it's not just within the integration space that we are, but our clients are also looking for data scientists. And they're, quite frankly, there's, there's, there's not enough people coming out of college uh, and universities with the background that the industry is needed. Then you throw on, to, on top of that that Informatica is in Silicon Valley, and in, in Bangalore, uh, which is also then a, a second issue for, for talent pool shortages. So mm-hmm. you know, the challenge that we face is, is uh, competing with the big boys really out there that have, uh, have a lot of money to throw at things. So we really sort of start to focus on, on what are the interesting things one would do working for Informatica, being able to help our customers leverage the data, the big data principles um, to help them grow in their, in their next career. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people might be heading to Silicon Valley with their bag full of uh, experiences and tools and tricks. They might be looking at some of like the Googles or some other companies that you, you know, or, or startups or what have you. So that certainly sounds like a big challenge that your company has in trying to find the right people, uh, especially if they, they need to be in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the biggest challenge is, is big data is an overused word. Mm. You know, so you really have big data consumers, Walmart, um, eBay, you know, they're big data consumers. They, they produce masses and masses of information the companies need to do something with. You have the, the big data storage providers, HDS, EMC. And so a lot of people keep getting confused with what big data really is. Informatica is is in a space where we actually help those clients achieve their, their, their business goals by giving them access to get return on investment from that data. If you can't get to the data in the first place, there is no opportunity to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's the career opportunity that we provide our, our, our workforce. Well, in, in preparation for us talking today, I took a look at your background, and it's like you previously held some positions with Cisco in both operations and talent acquisition. Kind of along the way, you had a lot of experiences that helped you shape maybe your understanding of leadership and talent development. So, mm-hmm. But you also kind of maybe have a personal understanding of leadership. So how has that work experience influenced the type of leader you are today? Uh, good question. I think the, the 11 years that I spent at Cisco certainly has put me in a very good position um, to, to, to look at all different leadership styles. Um, working in a large organization, it is, is more difficult to get things done sometimes, a lot more influence management. Working in a smaller organization, now you have a lot more opportunity to build uh, deeper relationships. So I think the, the strength that I would say that, that has come to me from, from the dichotomies of that is really being able to take the leadership style and be able to go deep when I need to. Um, I think that's a, a quality that I'm, I'm just not seeing enough TA leaders really been able to focus in on. There's, there's so many technology options out there today. Recruiting is not like it used to be where it was you, know, you open up a Rolodex and you can find some names and you make a call. You know, there, is, there is competing technologies from left and right. So a leader today has to be able to you know, get into the trenches when, when need be, um, but also be able to sort of look at the bigger level and, uh, and decide what strategy is really going to make the biggest impact for today and tomorrow because things are changing so quickly. So I think from a leadership perspective, I've really learned that uh, you, you just can't stay at the high level. Someone has to really be able to, to dive deep as well and, and really get into that, that critical thinking of how these systems work together. So it's really being diverse in what the situation calls for. I mean, there are times for you to sit back, let people develop, let them learn for themselves. And then there's times, I think, like you're saying, you got to jump in, you've got to get your hands dirty and really make something happen. Is that a fair assessment? It, it, it is, because it, it's a complex world today, you know, with, with the, 
the, the, the technologies that are out there, you know, it's, it's, there's a hundred shiny objects every day. If I had one call, I have 10 calls a week on a new vendor wanting to try and position something. And, and quite frankly, some of them are really great and some of them make perfect sense to jump on straight away. Others are just an extension of what's already available. So you've really got to be able to, to, to sift through the goodness and, uh, and know where to spend your time and, and your money. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like wonderful advice. And if anyone out there would maybe doubt that, I think, uh, they maybe should know that you were just recently named a rising star of the year by HR Executive Magazine. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that award and, and what it's meant to be, be recognized uh, by your peers for your great work. Yeah, it was a, it was a great achievement to uh, to get recognized from from fellow uh, for fellow peers. And in in a way, I, I, it was it was an acknowledgement for the hard work I think the team has done. Um, I think we've we've shown the industry that we're an organization that um, prides ourselves on not just talking the talk but actually walking the talk as well and getting in there and, and actually executing on, on a lot of the the, uh, the principles that, that the industry is needing. So I think I've been able to really leverage the background from Cisco in sales and operations and, and applying those those principles to, to make it work together. So yeah, it was a, it was a very rewarding uh, um, uh, award there, but it wasn't just for me. It was really for the, for the extended team as well. Well, and a very humble response that you kind of brought in your team there as well, and I think that's probably why part of your your success there is uh, by being inclusive when when things go well and maybe when they don't so you know we talk one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is the creative process i think that's something that companies struggle with uh that entrepreneurs and ceos are always looking for a better way to do it so maybe you can talk to us about the creative process and how how you do it in your company maybe what's worked or even what hasn't worked uh for our listeners I think I can sum it up in, in, in a couple of words, and it's really the nutty professor. Um, I think the, the, the thing that makes us creative here is, is I guess I have an attention span of a newt. So if something is working, uh, I've been sort of taught that there's always a better way to do, to do something. So we'll be continuously looking for ways that we can break a process and make it better. Um, you know, my, my previous boss at, at, uh, at Cisco, Don McLaughlin, came from a manufacturing background, and when he joined and took over talent acquisition there, we're all thinking, what's going on here? What can a manufacturing person really bring to the table from a creative process? And it was the discipline of manufacturing, supply and demand, and that's exactly what, what it is today in a recruiting world. So being able to apply some of those, those creative um, approaches with, with, with process design, but continually looking at, uh, at, at something to change. You know, if I look at one right now, you know, Informatica was, was just, I'm not sure whether you call it a nomination, but we, we just hit the number 21 hardest place to interview, um, in, in the space. You know, and we're, and of that, we're one of the top four when it comes to positive experiences. So although we are a difficult place to interview with, meaning we ask some really tough questions and we ask some very good questions, the experience that we're seeing from, from candidates with that was still very, very rewarding. So, even even though we've, we've been labelled as uh, a difficult place to interview, you know, when someone does get through that process, um, they know that they've hit the right place for them. You know, we are a, an organisation that has has smart people. Um, a lot of companies say the same thing. This is not just what we're saying, but our candidates that are coming through the process are saying that as well. Um, and then the difficulty level is is up there as well. So they're, they're the sort of things that I think we we continually wanted to change things to make things better to simplify. Um, improve the candidate experience. They're, they're the things that are continuously on top of my mind to make better. Well, and it sounds like you know you've certainly have had the experience to have learned things from an institutional corporate standpoint. But uh, given the great advice that you've been giving so far, I'm going to imagine you may have had some mentors or particular individuals who really had a great impact on your uh, development. Can you maybe talk about who that might be and, and why they were so impactful for you? Yeah, there's a there's a couple that that spurred to mind, and, and I'd probably say one of them, um, Brian Jeffries, who's still at Cisco today, was um, the manager who brought me to the U.S. in 2002. And the charter was the market had crashed, you know, Cisco had, had fallen through the floor, the whole bubble had burst, and and he brought me to the U.S. to really start to to pull out the margins out of the services business. And I and I hadn't worked with Brian before, but I'd done some sort of some profiling, some team profiling, like a Maya Briggs or a DISC 
with my teams. Mm -hmm. And Brian was sort of amenable to that. And in, in the early days, brand new to the company, hadn't really worked with him before, working in a corporate environment, um, big promotion, much bigger team, lots of lots of interdependencies. You know, I remember walking into his office one, one day. I'm normally, as a sales guy, an off-the-cuff type of guy, make things up along the way. Well, he drilled me on... Uh, the details, and I walked away thinking, "Oh, what have I done? <laughs> have I made the wrong move?" You know, the next week I walked in there with a stack of paper with every answer to every question I think he could throw to me, and then he then he hit me with strategies like, "Wow, it took me another another backward step as well." But what what Brian was also getting from the background was the person who who'd done the profiling for me reached out to Brian and said, "You know, here's what you're doing to Brad, and you're you're dra you're dragging him from one side to the other." And what I learned from that was you really have to understand the strengths of your team, but also the vulnerabilities of the team. And and he, as a leader, quickly learnt the strengths and my vulnerabilities. So he became one of the best sounding boards. And I would go anywhere, anywhere I would, I'd go, I'd work for Brian again, just because of how he was able to get the best out of me. And I think that's a leadership quality that I've tried to instill within myself and the rest of my teams um, to know what what people are really good at and, and where they're not good at something help them dig in with them and, and, and help them get better at those things. I, I see too many people not really focusing on the strengths that they already have and great leaders, I think, can, can help um, exploit those, those greatnesses in people and make them better. So, and recognizing that, those that, strengths and recognizing weaknesses is usually a big sign of someone who can be successful uh, as a leader and within an organization. And there's some controversies whether or not you should really be working on those things that you are not good at or if you should just be delegating them off. But I'm curious if there was a uh, specific skill or technique that you really feel like contributes to your role now in a positive way, but you really had to work on over time. Um, I think the, the leadership skill for me was not jumping to the answer. Um, hmm. I, I think I could I could quite quickly jump to the answer if someone comes in and, and, and asks a question. But I, I try to sit back and say, well, I could give you the answer, but you know, I would rather help you in your thought process get to the answer so then so then you're able to join the dots behind the scenes the next time you understand the process of the thought process to get there versus just giving you the answer otherwise they're not on my way it's just the easy way out mm -hmm. yeah because sometimes you you could spend five seconds with someone right and give them the answer or you're going to spend 10 yeah. minutes with them even when you're busy and you have a million things going to help them learn uh right. like you said so they can connect the dots the next time and they're not in your office yeah. for another five second question I'd rather teach them to fish. <laughs> right. Fishing for them. Right. Uh, good analogy. Teaching someone to fish, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a question that we love to ask uh, our guests. Uh, what book are you reading or books are you reading right now that we might want to, our listeners might want to pick up and read for themselves? I think that's a really good question. And, and with season five of Breaking Bad just finishing, I haven't been, <laughs> haven't been reading any book at the moment. I know I have one on my desk at the moment. That uh, that'll that'll be taking away with me, and that's it's leading it's leading through leaders. Um, a guy I work with who, who did some work with with Cisco, Jeremy Tozer, many years ago, um, has just written a book around driving strategy, execution, and change. And I think if I think of any corporation, that's the biggest thing that we will all face today: is how do we drive the strategy, how do we turn that into execution, and then how do we get the teams below to really adopt that change? So that's the uh, that's the next one on the list. Well, hopefully you won't, weren't getting any of your leadership inspiration for Breaking Bad, but uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> now that series is over, maybe your uh, your, your staff will be a little bit uh, exactly. less afraid to come by your office. I'll so. stop shaving my head. Right. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to ask you about the creative process as well. How do you brainstorm effectively with your team? You talked about not you know jumping to the answer, but uh, and letting them kind of get to there. But maybe what are some of the processes or more practical things that you do to help your staff be creative and get the best solutions out of them? Um, I probably drive my team mad when it comes to this sometimes because of my, my depth of knowledge um, of a lot of how these systems work together. Uh, but the creative process for me and, and the team, especially my leadership, my direct leadership team, is around process um, and really understanding the core fundamental um, aspects of the process we're, we're trying to fix. And I think if there's any one aspect that, that's taught me well is the whole Six Sigma Demaic process. And um, and that's and there's one element of that, and, and it's just simple. It's input, activity, and result, or input, input activity, and output. And, and everything we look at is 
What is the input that we need to do the activity? And then what's that activity going to produce on the outcome or the, the output? And then how does that fit further, further downstream? So a lot of the creative things that, we, that we're looking at here is continually looking at the very lowest level of the data. Um, and we're very data, data-centric, as you can imagine, being a big data company. Um, but looking at that really low-level information that comes through and what could we do with it and then how can we leverage it to, to the best of our ability. And that's pretty much the creative juices that we sort of go through. We'll, we'll, we'll look at things at a very high level but then, but then be able to dive down very deeply and then come back and then look at it from a change management perspective. How hard is it going to be for the, for the, uh, for the people to adopt whatever we're rolling out? Is it going to produce um, an increase in the amount of time it takes to do something for them or a decrease? How, how are we improving their productivity? So it's a lot of those process streamlining methodologies that, uh, that I take very, very seriously and, and quite frankly we don't roll out too many things unless it's been mapped out to, to its entirety. I'd, I'd rather spend 85% of my time up front in the planning mm-hmm. and then we don't have the, uh, the near misses on execution. So, you know, companies can have this great creative processes, they can have great planning processes, you can have great data to tell you what's going on, but sometimes it's the simplest thing of, Leaders being able to encourage and inspire uh, the, their teams to really be the best they can be. So, yep. how do you do that? I think something that I think Cisco did really well—that's empowerment, empowerment, empowerment. You know, if you don't empower your teams, um, then the, the person that's not doing the empowerment is actually the weakest link, and and all roads will lead back to to them. And I think that that doesn't leave a legacy. So. I think the standards really are as to how do you empower your team to go off and make mistakes. You know, where I have an organisation that's very much a a testing, um, innovative culture, and uh, and I've continued to dr- sort of drive that through. And it doesn't have to always be as a company. You don't have to have a company that's full of full of ideas and and swapping and changing things regularly. But as long as you instill that uh, confidence that people can go out there and test things locally, then I think that empowerment helps them become a better become a better person. Because there's no right answer to this stuff. Everything that we're doing now, I could walk to another organisation, and half the things may not work because it really comes back to the to the culture of the individuals, the culture of the recruiters, the culture of the company, um, and then what they can do from there. So, when you really mention that uh, empowerment, d- does that kind of maybe translate into? Would you also categorize as autonomy that they have that yeah. that ability to go out and make those decisions? And they don't have to be triple checked by three different managers and correct right and i think the the process of, of of really going into the bits and the bytes and really looking at the low level data and how our processes work by by having those conversations first they have a much better picture of of how they join the dots um, and when they have a better picture of how to join the dots the decision is quite easy because there's a there's always a clear answer that comes out of what needs to be done mm-hmm. um, and then they they know they can go off and run and make that happen at the end of the day, I, I see everybody as a professional. If someone doesn't have the professional standards, that, that performance will, will show up pretty quickly when you compare them against their peers or they even compare themselves against peers. So you know, I would rather, as, as the old saying, give, give someone enough rope to hang themselves. You know, I don't have to hang people too, too often, but right. <laughs> they, they have the autonomy to, uh, to do what they need to do because it's, it's the end goal that needs to be done, not, not the process of getting there. Mm-hmm. Well, and and one of the big keys with empowerment or autonomy is that people, I think, need to be passionate about what they're doing. Uh, sometimes about what they're doing. Sometimes it's about the company in general. So, how much of a factor is that for for your company and their success with, you know, how your 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 staff really interacts on a daily basis? I think that's critical. The the, the closer the line to the business, the business goals that we have, um, the the sooner we know we can jump on things. So, uh, we we strive for getting deeper and deeper relationships with our hiring managers and, and we, we put a lot of effort into into not just the hiring manager relationships but also the team relationships. You know, we've we've rolled out or rolling out a, a program um, actually next week to our to our sales organization. We're ready to start doing our our next year's hiring for sales and we have some new technology that allows us to match someone's LinkedIn networks and the people that within them um, to jobs that we have here. So so pushing that out to the corporation, out to the individual team members themselves, not just the recruiters, but all of the salespeople. They have a network with salespeople in it. We want to know who they are so they can uh, can, can get the referral bonuses that we offer, but also help us um, get those hiring goals met mm-hmm. sooner as well. And we talked today a lot about positive things and creativity and, and passion, but uh, sometimes the most interesting things to hear from, from people like yourself 
are, are the, maybe the painful lessons, and maybe you have one that you might share with us that you had to go through and learn from that maybe you know maybe we could learn from that we won't have to make the same mistakes. Do you have an example of maybe a painful yeah, lesson? I I think hmm I think for me there's a there was a painful lesson of it's all about timing. Um, in in my early operational days at Cisco, there was some 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 work that we were doing there, and and I spent a lot of effort and a lot of time socialising with lots and lots of people to get this this project off the ground. And and for for two years, I couldn't get it off the ground. I, I left the group, um, and someone took over took over the project. Um, and a year later, I got a, an email from this person saying, you know, um, can you just fill me in on what this presentation says? And and he got this project off the ground. And he used the same presentation that I had, I had delivered, even with my name still in it. And and what I really learned from that was it was all a matter of timing. And he, he used the analogy of, you know, sometimes the first wave of, of, of uh, folks die on the beach. And I died on the, on the beach those first two years because I just couldn't get this thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really sort of left, left, that's left a big impression on me because we may think that we have the right thing that needs to be done now, but the business may not see it. And it just may not be timing. Um, so I think that, that the more senior I've become and, and the more strategic I've become, it, it's not just about the business value that I may see, it's also the business value that the others in the organisation may see, and timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise that early in my career, so I would just push harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's not about pushing harder, it's about pushing smarter and, and, and realising is, is it the right time to move or not. Sure, I mean, you can push on a door all day long, but if it's only going to open when it's going to open, it can't <laughs> exactly. get through, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, we're kind of running out of time here. I wanted to make sure we uh, you let anyone know if there, anyone has any uh, interest in reaching you or finding out more about your company and what you do. What's the best way to do that? Um, I, I do get a lot of emails and a lot of emails, so if, if people want to reach out to me, I'm, I'm more than welcome to uh, to share best practices. I do that, do that quite often. I just say, be patient. <laughs> um, I, as I do, I do get a lot of emails, and I don't go through them as quickly as I used to. But uh, happy to uh, to chat to people as well. So should they uh, look for you on LinkedIn or uh, your LinkedIn website? Is probably the, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way. If there's if there's job opportunities, you know, we've done a lot of work in in being able to funnel people through the process and, and quickly. So we have an easy way to apply for jobs on our mobile platform or, or a browser platform. So there's there's easy there's plenty of ways to find me. Well, Brad, thank you so much for being our guest today. I really learned a lot, and I appreciate what you had to share. I hope you enjoyed being on the show as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for the time. Great. That is about all the time we have today. Thank you to my special guest, Bruce Leewalt and Brad Cook. Tune in next week, the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. To hear Kevin Kowalki, business strategist and founder of the Kowalki Group, and Laura Zander, CEO and co-founder of Jimmy Bean Wool, a recent uh, Inc. 5000 recipient as well. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping you with your people-related decisions. They do that by providing access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply go to People G2. That's www.peopleg2.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or check us out on Twitter at PeopleG2.